Welcome to episode 51 of Spurbs Herbs. Today we're going to be talking about Song Er Tsao. Song Er Tsao. Xanthi herba, or known colloquially as Xanthium, or even Cockleburr is the known name. So, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today, we're going to be looking at another Chinese herb, Sangha Erd Sao, Xanthium or Cockleburr. If this sounds familiar, we have discussed Sangha not Sangha Tsao, Sangha or xanthium fruit when we discuss the formula sangha erdzisan or xanthium powder. That formula used the fruit of this plant. In this episode, we will discuss the entire plant, the whole plant. Is there a difference in functions? Toxicity? Why would we use one instead of the other? Let's find out the answers to these questions. And as always, we will look at something a little different today, something I've been wanting to do for a while. I've even mentioned it a few times. We're going to be talking about Sam Zhao or the Triple Burner. So please stay tuned for another interesting episode. Before we get into that, I do want to talk to you just before we get into that. One of my favorite courses I've ever done. It's called Why, Not How Herbs Work. And this is just a special course for those of us who have asked, why do herbs even help us? In other words, why do they have any effect on humans at all. We explore some really interesting territory in this course, including philosophy, talking about holism and reductionism, ecology, we're going to be talking about Gaia theory, a lot of evolution in this, including coherent coupling and plant-human coalitions, and explain why herbs may do different things at different doses, hormesis and xenohormesis. If you haven't heard these terms before, I hadn't either. I was I was teaching a course. They I, I, they wanted me to teach a course on herbs, on on regular herbology. And I'm like, no, I'm a Chinese herbalist. I'm not an herbologist. And they said, no, you can do this. And I learned so much from teaching that course. You always learn more when teaching than from studying. And I learned all these things, and I'm fascinated by it. And I just thought so many people would be interested in it. And that's why I created this course, Why Not How Herbs Work. We will discuss the implication of each of those concepts on current herb research and usage as well. This is an absolutely amazing journey that answers fundamental questions about herbalism and is absolutely a can't-miss webinar. If you hurry, you can get this webinar for one-third off. Instead of $30 for this two-hour continuing education course, it's only $20. Just go to www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org slash W-H-Y-Y, so that's Integrative Medicine Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot org slash Y, W-H-Y, and then that deal will be present, so hope to see you soon. Thank you. So, thought we'd start off today by talking about Sanjiao or the three burners. So, in, in Chinese medicine, there are 12 major organs broken down into yin and yang pairs. And associated with the wuxing or five phases, which we discussed a couple of episodes ago. All of these organs, except for one, are familiar to anyone with a very basic understanding of anatomy, even if some of their functions may not be exactly the same as biomedicine. That exception, that, that organ that's different, is the san jiao. 
and it's translated as the three burners or sometimes the triple warmer. And you'll see, you'll see all of these as, as acronyms. You'll see SJ, TB, and TW as acronyms. And it has no biomedical equivalent at all. And it often, as it has for me, confused practitioners as there are several perspectives on what it does and whether it is a physical organ or more of a philosophical or functional one. Let's dive into this fascinatingly unique aspect of Chinese medicine. Well, before we get into Sanjia, let's start with a short introduction to the yang or fu organs. Fu can mean seat of government, administrative center, or palace. Unlike the yin organs, which store precious essences, yang organs do not store but are constantly filled and empty. Another approach to the yang organs is to call them the hollow organs. Also, they do not deal with pure substances as the yin organs do, but with impure ones. For example, food, impure fluids, urine, stools, etc. In the theory of the internal organs, or zong fu, the physiology, by the way, we said the yang organs are fu organs, the yin organs are, are, are zong, uh, and so zong fu means both in, yin and yang organs, or translated in total as the internal organs. So in the theory of the internal, uh, in, in the theory of the internal organs, Zong Fu, the physiology and pathology of the yin organs has predominance over that of the yang organs. For example, the various five element associations of colors, emotions, odors, sounds, etc., are always associated with their relevant yin rather than yang organs. So, for example, the scorched smell refers to the heart rather than to the small intestine. Now, it's a yin-yang pair, um, but we don't, when we think of a scorched smell in Chinese medicine, we don't think small intestine. In the yang organ, we think heart, the yin organ. One reason for this predominance is that many of the functions of the yang organs are subsumed under those of the yin organs. It should be stressed that although from the point of view of organ physiology and pathology, the yin organs are more important than the yang ones. From the point of view of channels, in other words, acupuncture channels, all 12 channels are equally important. The Sanjiao channels are widely used in, in acupuncture. The Sanjiao is the yang pair of the yin organ pericardium. So the pericardium and Sanjiao are one yin-yang pair. Under the fire phase of the five phases, which uniquely has, the fire phase has, is the only, so remember we said there's 12 organs and yet there's five phases. Uh, and, and so that right there you go, wait, something's a little bit off. What it is is the fire phase has two yin-yang pairs of organs. So it has the heart and small intestine as an organ pair. And it also has the pericardium and san jiao as an organ pair. It's the only, of the f only one of the five phases that actually has two pairs of organs associated with it. So in one of our foundational textbooks in English, Machiocha, uh, in the Foundations of Chinese Medicine, attempts to explain this organ. The triple burner is one of the most elusive topics on Chinese of Chinese medicine and one which has been the subject of controversy for centuries. So just I just want to interject here. Just because I'm a little confused and, and a lot of my colleagues are a little confused is not abnormal. It's been controversial for centuries. 
you can always find people that say, no, this is exactly what it is. But then you'll talk to somebody else and they have some completely different idea or they may be more honest and say, uh, there's a lot of things it could be. So we're going to talk about some of those things right now. So it's subject of controversy for centuries. Back to the quote. Although it is officially one of the six yang organs, Chinese doctors have always debated about the nature of the triple burner and in particular whether it has a form or not. That is, whether it is an actual organ or a function. So that was one of the questions I presented right at the beginning of all this. After discussing the functions of the triple burner, it is appropriate to discuss four different views of the triple burner which will throw light on its functions. And we're going to do that right now. So the three functions of the Sanjiao include one, the triple burner mobilizes the original qi or yuan qi. The original qi represents the essence in action in the form of qi. So essence is another foundational concept in Chinese medicine. Again, we haven't really talked a lot about essence, but essence is kind of what we're, at least initially, is what we're given by our parents. You know, it's often in sort of a biomedical translation, it's the egg and the sperm is the essence that we, we grow out of. And then, of course, we have essence. That's the, the source of life. And then from the essence comes the original chi and actually is a essence in action, as it says here. So the triple burner mobilizes the original chi by making it differentiate into its different forms to perform different functions in different places and organs. It is through the triple burner that the original chi can perform its functions. Original Qi is closely related to the gate of life, Ming Men, and shares its role of providing the heat necessary to all the body's functional activities. So in this, in this role, the triple burner is incredibly important. Without having this ability to mobilize the original Qi, we would not be able to act as humans, as animals. So it's very important. The second function of the three functions of the Sanjiao, the triple burner controls the transportation and penetration of qi. The movement of qi to carry out its various functions is called the qi mechanism. The triple burner controls the ascending, descending, and entering, exiting of qi in the qi mechanism. One of the words most frequently used in Chinese books to describe this function of the triple burner is tong, which means free passage, to pass through, penetrate. This describes the function of the triple burner ensuring that qi passes through in the qi mechanism in all the cavities and in all organs. This whole process is called qi transformation by the triple burner. The result of the qi transformation is the production of nutritive qi, ying qi, defensive qi, wei qi, we've talked about both of those in past episodes, blood and body fluids. That is also why the triple burner is said to control all kinds of chi. So this is, this and the next one to a certain extent, well, let me go through the next one and then I'll, I'll kind of talk about, you know, where I kind of landed with the triple with Sanjiao. So let's go on to the next one. Okay. So the third of the three functions of Sanjiao, the triple burner controls the water passages and the excretion of fluids. Chapter 8 of the Simple Questions, that's the Wang Di Nei Jing Su Wen. So this is the oldest existing book in Chinese medicine, written about two or 300 years uh, BCE. So chapter 8 of that, Simple Questions. The simple Questions, there's two halves to it. Simple Questions is one half. So chapter 8, 
which describes the functions of all the internal organs, comparing them to officials, says the triple burner is the official in charge of ditches. This means that that doesn't sound like a high-ranking official, but you can imagine it's a really important official in ancient China. So this means that just like the official who's in charge of irrigation, the triple burner is responsible for the transformation, transportation, and excretion of fluids. This is one of the most important functions of the triple burner. The triple burner's function in relation to body fluids is closely dependent on its function of controlling the transportation and penetration of qi. I described above, the triple burner influences the ascending, descending, and entering, exiting of qi in the qi mechanism. It is the coordinated and harmonized ascending, descending, and entering, exiting of qi in all organs and structures that ensures that the body fluids also ascend, and descend, ascend, descend, and enter, exit in the proper way in all places. Essentially, the transformation and movement of the fluid depends on qi. So that's important. We, you know, there's a saying with blood, at least, that where the qi moves, so does the blood. Right? Similar here with the fluids to a certain extent. So these last two, so the qi mechanism and the water passages, is how I kind of envision the triple burners. I've had this told to me by some of my some of my uh, teachers at the time. Uh, I don't know how fundamental it is, how, how important it is as a concept. The way I've always looked at the three burners is as like sort of a piping structure uh, in, in, the, in, this, in our torso because we're going to find out that there's the three burners are the upper burner, the middle burner, and the lower burner, uh, and where they are. We'll talk about those in just a second. But the idea is that these are pipes that go through it that allow the flow of qi and, and fluids, and that's sort of what's kind of been burnt into my head. On the other hand, it's called the three burners and triple warmer. So we know there's a warmth aspect to that. So it's not just fluids and qi. It's also the qi is warm, but it's also warm fluids. There's a, there's a, there's a temperature to this as well. So they're warm pipes is sort of how I, I envision them to a certain extent. So those are the three functions of the San Jiao. Let's talk about four different views of the San Jiao. Again, these are all still part of uh, Machiosha. Uh, and which I think is, if you're studying the West, is, is the fundamental text. Uh, I, I, I've seen it at every school that I've been at. There's other texts text that are, are used, but usually in conjunction with Machiosha. The other one that's often used is, um, is by another uh, team. I'm totally, I just had it in my head. I'm blanking, so I'm going to move on quickly. All right, so four views of the Sanjiao. Number one, the triple burner is one of the six yang organs. We mentioned that already. But from this point of view, the triple burner is a yang organ and has a form. The triple burner has the function of maintaining free passage, tong, and of letting out or excreting, chu. The triple burner lets out defensive qi in the upper, uh, nutritive qi in the middle, and fluids in the lower burner. So this makes sense if you understand some of the functions. So like in the upper burner, we're going to find out is the upper third of our torso from the diaphragm above. It includes the lungs and heart. And you know the lungs, we, we talked a, a bit about defensive qi and nutritive qi in the past, but the defensive qi is, is supported by the lungs and is um, very intimately involved with the lungs and it defends us against external attacks. And so it makes sense that that's in the upper burner. The nutritive qi is in the middle and the middle burner is between the diaphragm and really the umbilicus, the, the, the belly button. And that includes our liver, spleen, and stomach. 
um, and with the spleen and stomach, I, those are our digestive organs. And the nutritive chi is nutrition, is what we get from that and is part of the, that nu- the, the food that we eat. So that makes sense that that would be in the middle. And then the fluids in the lower burners, the lower burners below the belly button into the pelvis. And really in the context of three burners, we're really kind of talking about excretion of fluids. And so that makes sense that that would be in the lower burner here of this view of the triple burner as one of the six-pronged organs. Let's move on to the second view. The second of the four views is the triple burner as a mobilizer of the original chi or yuan chi. We mentioned this earlier as one of its three functions. According to this view, the triple burner has no form. In other words, it's not a actual organ. The triple burner mobilizes the original chi emerging from between the kidneys to make it differentiate in its different forms in different parts of the body for different functions. So this is more of a functional aspect of, of view of the Sanjiao. So we have a form view that we just mentioned. We have a functional view. And then we have this next one. Uh, the, the, the third of the four views is the triple burner as three divisions of the body. And in this, the upper burner is like a mist, uh, and, and they have in parentheses sweat. So the, the mist, the sweat is sort of a mist. The, and, and again, it makes sense in Chinese medicine, the lungs are in charge of, the, of, of perspiring, so it makes sense. The middle burner is like a maceration chamber, and this is, it says stomach fluids in parentheses here. So maceration chamber, of course, digestion, so that makes a lot of sense. That's what the stomach basically does. And the lower burner is like a ditch, and in parentheses, it has urine. So we have fluids in each of these three dimensions, each of these three divisions, and those are associated with the three burners. So that's the third of the four views of the San Zhao. And finally, the fourth view, the triple burner as body cavities. So the, the, the upper burner is the chest cavity, the middle burner is the upper abdominal cavity, the lower burner is the lower abdominal and pelvic cavity. The triple burner controls the penetration of qi in and out of the cavities and the entering exiting of qi. In the abdominal cavity, the triple burner controls the entering exiting of qi in and out of the membranes. This is capitalized membranes. These are Chinese medical membranes, which we're not going to get into today. But in the chas- chest cavity, the triple burner controls the entering and exiting of the gathering qi or zong qi. So this is a different type of qi we haven't really mentioned. At some point we will. But again, it's a, it's a little bit more in-depth than I want to get to today. In the space between skin and muscles, the triple, triple burner controls the entering and exiting of the defensive qi or wei qi. So we've mentioned that already. And in the joint cavities, the triple burner controls the entering and exiting of qi and fluids in the joint capsules. So that is a brief, probably confusing, because it always is, introduction to the Sanjiao organ. If you feel a little confused coming out of that, that's how I felt when I first started uh, learning about the Sanjiao. And, and, and to be honest with you, I still am. I mean, I, I, I understand its functions better, having been a practitioner for decades now, uh, but I still get confused with it. It's, it's an interesting organ, and I have a very Western mind. So uh, this is the one that is is sort of elusive to my Western mind. So it's okay to be a little confused after learning about the San Jiao. So, but it is important, especially with acupuncture, uh, less so with herbology as we've discussed, but definitely important. And so that was that was a good introduction to it. And with that, without further ado, let's talk about today's herb.
So today's herb, Sangha Er Zao, Sang Er Zao, Xanthium, is going to be a little different of a Spurbs Herbs episode. It turned out not to be too different, touch different. That is because today's herb is actually a whole herb which is not used very often and only appears as a small addendum to a common and important herb, Sangerdza, which we mentioned earlier, which is just the fruit of our herb. So normally when we talk about an herb, we're talking about a very specific part of that herb. It's relatively rare that we use whole herbs in, in Chinese medicine. So we're looking at the root, we're looking at the leaves, we're looking at the fruit, whatever it is that we're looking at. And in this case, Sangur Zhao is the whole herb. So rather than the, the herb that is very commonly used is Sangur Zhe, Zhe meaning seed, in this case fruit. Uh, and so normally we look at just the fruit portion of the seed pod really is what it is, uh, of Xanthium. And so uh, here we're looking at the whole herb. So we will spend some time comparing these two herbs and see if there are any differences between them. Spoiler alert, there are. And in the process, I hope we will highlight the different effects of different parts of the same plant. Because one of the things that is interesting is, especially in Chinese medicine, if you use a different part of the plant, it's completely different you know, than, than something else. Uh, you can have a totally different effect. Also, if you prepare it in a different way, as we've mentioned, Pao it can be very different. Um, someone uh, very interesting with Sanjiao just, just put in lymphatic system as, as a, a, a message in the chat box. So going quickly back to the Sanjiao before we, we hop into the Xanthium. And I wanted to address that because that is something that a lot of people have said, well, that is sort of what it is from, you know, the translation from a Chinese to Chinese medicine to sort of more biomedical approach to that. I, I think it's a little reductionistic to, to say it's the lymphatic system, especially since the lymphatic system is throughout the entire body. And the Sanjiao really is, really the way we talk about it is just in the, the, uh, the abdomen. So <coughs> I think there's aspects of the, I think the lymphatic system does kind of elucidate some aspects of, of Sanjiao. So I, I, I thank you for that. I had forgotten about that as a, as a, a corollary to Sanjiao. And I think that's an important thing to think about with Sanjiao. And I think it, it has a lot of interesting similarities and aspects that are there with the Sanjiao. But I don't think it, in toto, as most things that translate between Chinese medicine and Western medicine, I don't think in toto it actually gets the true, the complete essence of Sanjiao. But I do think it adds a little aspect and a little bit of understanding to Sanjiao. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Okay. That was a great little quote, a uh, great little uh, addition. Thank you. And so let's get back into Sangerdzao and see how it compares with Sangerdza as we go through this. So the family is Asteriaceae. Uh, we actually looked at this family briefly. Uh, actually, we didn't talk about it much. It was one of the earlier uh, episodes of Spurbs Herbs, Spurbs Herbs number nine, actually. And they were on 51. I can't believe it's that much. So on, in, in nine, we talked about the herb Aya. Uh, which is uh, uh, Artemisia, and that is part of this family as well. The species in particular that we're talking about here is Xanthium sabiricum, Pat, um, P-A-T-R, which refers to the biologist who, who classified it. And the Chinese name for this is Sang Er. Uh, er. And what's interesting about this is that what's, that's what's in the textbook, and actually s some of the constituents are named after that. So seems really valid that this is this is the the species but when I looked it up in on uh, 
you know, in scientific papers, when I looked at the literature, more often than not, uh, I, in fact, I very rarely saw Xanthium sibiricum. I actually saw references to Xanthium strumerium as the herb species. And actually, when we look at the constituents of the herb as it is in our textbooks, it actually had some things that refer to strumerium. So I think they're both um, similar. Uh, if I think they're the both same species. I'm not sure which one is dominant or not. My guess is the strumerium is probably more current than the Sibiricum, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. But both of them seem to be the same herb at this point. So I just wanted to put that out there as species. As we mentioned, the, the medical part of this herb is the entire herb. And, and like I said, usually we're talking parts of it. The English translation, Sangertzau, uh, actually means deep green ear herb. So sang means deep green, ar means uh, ear, and sao means herb or grass uh, sometimes, so herb. Other names include cocklebur, sangzikhe, seerke, shi'er, jer'er, and in Japanese, sojitsu, sojiso, I should say, s-o-j-i-s-o, and in Korean, chingicho, so that's C-H-A-N-G, I-C-H-O in Korean. So those are all synonyms for Sangertzau. So let's talk briefly about the Asteraceae family. So according to Britannica, the Asteraceae family, also called Compositae, is commonly known as the aster, daisy, or composite family of the flowering plant order Asteralis. It includes more than 1,620 genera, and 23,600 species of herbs, shrubs, and trees distributed throughout the world and is one of the largest plant families in existence. So very, very commonly. In fact, I'm about to say some of the well-known stuff and you're gonna be like, oh, okay. There are many well-known plants in this family, including many garden ornamentals, weeds, including dandelion, ragweed, and thistle, uh, food crops, including lettuce, artichoke, safflower, sunflower, and endive, and as we discussed in episode nine, back in that episode nine, I mentioned Artemisia or wormwood is also part of this Asteraceae family. Members of the family have flower heads composed of many small flowers called florets that are surrounded by bracts or leaf-like structures. Bell-shaped disc florets, florets form the center of each head. Strap-shaped ray florets extend out like petals from the center and are sometimes reflexed or bent backwards. Another interesting article, I thought this was interesting because you don't see this often, uh, agreed with this overview and looked at how this family plays a role in human health, including uh, antioxidant, antioxidant anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial activity, as well as diuretic and wound healing properties. So a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is super healthy vegetables. I mean, you, they're among, uh, not lettuce particularly, but some of the others are very healthy, amongst the most healthiest of, of vegetables for us. Uh, I loved that uh, dandelion, which is a Chinese herb, Fugong Ying, and, and actually can be a food stuff substance directly itself. Um, so that, you know, a lot of, a lot of medicinal substances are come out of this family. So I thought that was very interesting, very large, very helpful family for us as humans. So back to Sung Erdsau, uh, both Bensky uh, and his team, which is our first big text that we, we use, and then Chen and Chen is our second big texts, say the dose is six to 15 grams for this herb. 
Our third usual text, which is Brandon Wiseman, does not include an entry on this herb. Again, and both Chen and Chen and Bensky are small addendums to Sangerza, which is the more commonly used herb. Uh, the category for this, uh, Bensky puts it in the warm, acrid herbs that release the exterior subcategory of herbs that release the exterior. So it's the subcategory, warm, acrid herbs that release the exterior. The overarching category is herbs that release the exterior. So and then it gets broken down into warm and cool, acrid herbs. And we talked about a cool, acrid herb just a couple weeks ago, or about a month ago. Uh, Chen Chen say it is a wind cold releasing herb under exterior releasing herb. So uh, they say the exact same thing, but Bensky takes it from the point of view of the herb. The herb is warm and acrid. And Chen Chen says, well, the herb causes wind cold to be released. So it's they're, they're the same, but just slightly different perspectives. Uh, Bensky and their team say it is a bitter, acrid, or spicy, slightly cold, toxic and has no noted channels entered. So that's an interesting one. Almost all of our herbs have channels that are actually entered, that they go into an effect. And when I say no noted channels entered, I mean in the, the entry for channels entered, it said none noted. I mean, that was, that's a quote from it. Not that it just didn't have any. It was like none are noted. Uh, and, and Chen Chen actually agree they didn't have any channels either. And they say that instead of slightly cold, it's cool. And uh, instead of toxic, it's slightly toxic. So still agree there's some toxicity there, but just less than, than in the Bensky textbook. Chen Chen does not say where the original source for this herb. Bensky and their team say the original source for this herb is the Shenyang Ben Sao Jing, or Divine Husbandsman's classic of the Materia Medica in the second century CE. Again, uh, this keeps getting mentioned a lot. This is the oldest existing book on individual herbs that we have. Um, what's interesting is I have a translation of that. I usually can, any, every other time they've said this, I've been able to pull the herb out and put some information into our, into what we're going to be talking about today. In this case, I couldn't. Uh, they, first of all, it used a very different name, and it only referred to Sangerza. That's that fruit that we were talking about. And it did not refer to the whole herb as uh, uh, in total. So I kind of agree with Bensky that it was first mentioned. You can't really mention the fruit without mentioning the herb, but it did not have any particular specific functions for this herb in general. So uh, I'm not, there's not nothing from the Sinjang Ben Sao Jing based on that. Uh, so unfortunately. So let's talk a little bit about warm acrid herbs that release the exterior so we understand this concept. Uh, in episode 49, so two episodes ago, we did discuss cool acrid, cool acrid herbs that release the exterior. Here, here we will discuss warm acrid herbs that release the exterior. Uh, there may be some repeated information as we discuss the general category of exterior releasing herbs before getting into today's subcategory. So according to Bensky <coughs> and his team, exterior releasing herbs are those that release disorders lodged in the very superficial levels of the body. When external pathogenic factors, including wind heat, wind cold, wind dampness, and summer heat, invade the body, they first attack its superficial exterior aspects. Symptoms associated with the exterior then appear, chills, fever, headache, stiff neck, and general muscle aches. Sometimes sweating will appear, which resolves the condition, in which case no treatment is necessary. At other times, however, there will be an absence of sweating, or even though there is sweating, is not, it is not 
accompanied by any change in the condition. At this juncture, herbs that release the exterior are used. Most exterior releasing herbs are diaphoretics. That is, they release or expel the external pathogenic influences through sweating. There's a saying in Chinese medicine, when the disease is in the skin, sweating will bring it out. Some of the herbs that release the exterior have additional functions, stopping coughs and wheezing, controlling pain or spasms, inventing rashes such as measles. Herbs that release the exterior can be further divided by character and function into warm acrid and cool acrid classes. And here we go into our specific. The warm acrid herbs dispel wind cold and are used for exterior disorders when the fever is mild, the chills severe, and there are other signs and symptoms of wind cold, including headache, body and neck pains, and absence of thirst. So that is our warm acrid, release the exterior herbs sort of overview for, for this category. Uh, good quality, I always talk about good quality of this, and neither of our usual texts on quality, the Chinese Medical Identification and Illustrator Post by Zhao and Chen, and Bensky usually has some, some information on good quality. Neither of them actually contain quality gu guidelines for this herb. So I don't have a good any suggestions as to how you find good herbs. Again, not a major herb, so it doesn't surprise me. However, Bensky does discuss some adulterant plants under its entry on Sangha Erdza. And these species, these adulterant species, include Xanthium uh, mangoticum, or Dongbei Sangha Er and xanthium spinosum or sisang er. So those are adulterant species, so you don't want to put those in now. How do you tell those species? Uh, get an expert <laughs> would be my suggestion on that one. So that's the quality. Let's talk about Chinese medical actions. So according to Bensky and his team, sang er tsao dispels wind and resolves dampness. That's the main thing here. So specifically for wind damp, painful obstruction, especially that marked by spasmodic pain of the extremities. And that's one function. The second function is dispels wind and disperses heat. For severe itching and other skin diseases, including deep set toxic sores and leprosy, often applied topically. So that's, that's the other use for this herb as well. Chen and Chen similarly say its functions include dispelling wind, and clearing heat and toxins. So this toxin thing, remember we said the herb is toxic, uh, or has slightly toxic, toxic at least, and yet it's here to treat toxins as well. Both, both texts mention it treats toxin. And that illustrates a point in Chinese, uh, there's a saying in Chinese medicine is toxin treats toxins. So if you have a toxic condition, use a toxin to actually treat that. So it makes sense with this herb to a certain extent. So Chen Chen continues to say chief applications include Bijong or painful obstruction syndrome, which is that wind damp painful obstruction that we talked about under Bensky. So they're in agreement here. Uh, so uh, Bijong spasms and cramps also can be treated with that as good. And it can be used for dermatological disorders, yin sores, rashes, or pruritus. Pruritus means itching, so it makes sense. So those are the Chinese medical actions. And like I said, usually I can pull something out of the of the um, Divine Farmer's Material Medical that Shandong Ben Sao Jing, and I wasn't able to do so in this case. So uh, these are our only functions so far. Uh, neither text discusses preparations of this herb, so uh, no s particular special preparations. And the dosing is very much in alignment with, with using this as a decoction. Um, 
some of the safety issues, uh, say pull the spikes off of the fruit. Uh, again, those were kind of more associated with sangerdza, the, the fruit itself, but um, the spikes have some toxins in it. So that would be the, the only questionable aspect of preparing it here. Western uses. So generally it appears this herb is not used in Western medicine. Dharmananda, who has a great article on the toxicity, I'll mention it again in a minute, specifically says in Western literature, xanthan is not described as a medicinal herb, but is a well-known toxic herb rated as highly toxic for grazing animals. So for example, cattle, pigs, horses, and poultry. Uh, having said that, a very poorly sourced webpage, www.naturalmedicinalherbs.net, I, I almost hesitated putting this in here, but it's the only thing I could really find, um, says the various parts of the plant do have medicinal uses, such as bitter tonic and febrifuge. So febrifuges are medicines used to reduce fever. It has this, the same page. It has historically been used in the treatment of scrofulous tumors. A, decoration, a decoction of the root has been used in the treatment of high fevers and to help a woman expel the afterbirth. So not well sourced. It, and in fact, I go so far as to say it, it copied this from a different website and actually said it on it. That's like, this is from this website. And I went to that website because I was for the original and that website was not available. So I, you know, I, I just don't think there's much use of this in, in the Western side of things at all. Some commentary on Sungard South. So the really, because it's just a small addendum, there isn't any commentary in our main texts on this herb. So I thought we'd take this time to discuss the differences and functions between the relatively rarely used whole herb and the widely used fruit of this herb. So the Sungard Sal versus the Sungard Z. They do have similar functions as they both disperse wind and dispel or resolve dampness. So in that context, they, they have fairly similar actions. The main differences are the fruit opens the nasal passages and is a main herb. It's, it is a commonly used herb for treating sinusitis and other nasal conditions. It actually will, will help bring other herbs to the nasal area, to the nose. So the whole herb can be used for skin conditions, which the, the, uh, the fruit usually isn't. But there are, more, there are more commonly used herbs for that. So like I, you know, I dabble in, in dermatology uh, and I have never seen this herb used dermatologically, not that I, you know, I'm an expert in it. Um, there's a ton of other herbs that I, are used topically. So this is not one, even though it, it can be used for skin, I don't think it's very commonly used for skin in that context. So I, I think they have similar functions, but it doesn't have, the, the herb itself doesn't have that function of bringing it to the nose like the fruit itself does. And so that's really the main takeaway from this. And the reason why the fruit is way more commonly used than the herb in total. Similarly, similarly, uh, because there's such short entries in the in the textbook, there are no comparisons with other herbs. So again, it's hard to tell, you know, how often, how commonly this this herb is used. I've never used it herbally. I've never seen it used herbally uh, with some of my uh, mentors who are really good, uh, you know, herbalists and use a lot of big variety of herbs. I've not seen this herb particularly used in that context. However, there were a couple combinations. Bensky discussed two of them uh, with this herb. Uh, mentioned that with, uh, macerated with chrysanthemum, indice flosser, ye ju hua, and applied topically for deep set toxic sores. 
That's interesting. And, and I, I'm, you know, deep sets, toxic sores, I'm already kind of going, hmm, you know, there might be some medical legal stuff here if we start slathering it on toxic substances onto deep set toxic sores. But uh, that is one of the traditional combinations they mentioned. The other one was with Tribuli fructus or Sigili and Cochia fructus diffusa decocted and applied as an external wash for intense itching of the skin. So there you go. Those are the two. Both of them are skin-related combinations. So contents of this herb, uh, according to Bensky and his team, the constituents of Sangard Sal include glycosides or strum strumeroside, as a, which is a type of glycoside. So again, that refers to that, that species that I was mentioning to you earlier, strumeroside uh, refers to that species. That's why I think the species in, is all uh, kosher here. It also has some um, sesquiterpenes, including xanthinin, xanthumin, and xanthatin. xanthatin. Those are um, ses ses sesquiterpenes are commonly used or commonly found in medicinal herbs, so very commonly there. And there are other constituents, including volatile oils, uh, which are smells, generally smells, and of course essential oils would fall under the volatile oil thing. Flavonoids, alkaloids, organic and phenolic acids, and phytosterols. Again, all those can uh, be beneficial for health, uh, depending on the specifics of them. But I, I think once you're kind of in this other constituents category, you're kind of looking at things that are part of it and may play a role in, in the health aspects, but probably not uh, a main role in that. So there was a great article specifically on the actual herb, uh, a review. Uh, by Fawn and his team from 2019, so relatively recent, and they say more than 170 compounds have been isolated and identified from this plant. Among them are those sesquiterpenes and phenylpropanoids. Phenylpropanoids are the most abundant and major bioactive constituents in X uh, strumerium, so they did use that strumerium species, and are considered as the characteristic constituents of this plant. And using them, again, you know, when I look at the science, uh, Chen Chen usually has some good science stuff. I always look at things, but I look for reviews, uh, which give you broad overviews of things. And, and this font was a review on this, which I was honestly very surprised to find and very grateful to find. And they list several effects supported by the literature, including anti-allergic rhinitis. So again, this is the whole herb, so it's looking at stuff. Uh, it, it got very reductionistic in what did all these things and how it did these things. So the idea of anti-allergic rhinitis, which is right up there, that is basically sinusitis, um, is talking about those, those fruits as well as not just the whole herb. So anti-allergic rhinitis, anti-tumor effects, anti-inflammatory and analgesic, uh, so pain relieving, uh, insecticide and antiparasitic, antioxidant, antibacterial and antifungal, Anti-diabetic, that's an interesting one. Anti-lipidemic, so against uh, uh, fats in the blood, so cholesterol and, and triglycerides. Antiviral, uh, so a lot of different effects, but these all appear, all of the stuff that they mentioned when I read over these effects, they all appear to be in vitro. So basically in vitro means technically, I mean literally it means in glass, so in test tubes, so in in in. Um, bench research, basically, 
or rat mice studies. None of them were actually human studies that I saw um, when, when reading this. So, uh, you know, take this with a grain of salt. You know, a lot of substances will show in rats, mice, and in vitro studies that it has all these wonderful, powerful effects, but then you, you study them in humans and it doesn't. You know, it, it doesn't get to any levels that are therapeutic. It doesn't get absorbed properly, whatever reason. But until there's human studies, it really, there's no proof that it helps in humans and does, does these things. But they all point to, hey, maybe we should do some human studies here. So, um, so very, very important and very useful, but uh, nothing specifically in humans here. I did look for drug-herb interactions for this herb, and I did not find any. And I used xanthium uh, because I figured that would cover all the species. It would cover Sangerza, it would cover Sangerzao, and I didn't find any drug-herb interactions. Uh, similarly, the American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook, which is, again, one of our major texts that we use, and it, it helps with uh, safety aspects. Uh, this is by Gardner and McGuffin did not have an entry at all on this herb, which is interesting because they usually are really good with Chinese herbs. And it didn't have Sangerza in there as either. It had another Sangerza or Sangerza in the, in the book, which I thought was interesting because they usually cover Chinese herbs pretty good, pretty well. So bottom line, cannot deter, don't see any uh, drug herb interactions in the literature at this point. Having said that, there are concerns about this herb. Uh, and, and all of the texts and everything that I read said there are concerns about this herb because we talked about there's toxicity here. So several counts of concerns when using this herb. Bensky uh, and his team say under cautions and contraindications, use with caution in the debilitated. Do not take internally long-term. So this herb should not be taken internally. And then later they have a completely different section on toxicity. Now, this is interesting with the Dubensky textbook because not every herb has a section on toxicity. Uh, it's only there if it's needed, uh, according to the authors there, and then they thought it was, it was necessary. So they had a section, toxicity, and there they say, the whole plant is toxic, the most toxic part being the fruit. Is that Sangerza we were talking about earlier? The fresh leaves are more toxic than the dried ones, and young tender twigs are more toxic than old stems. Overdosage and long-term use of this herb must be strictly avoided. So there you go. So there are there's some concerns of toxicity. To me, not specific enough to, to say don't use this necessarily or to be careful. Definitely be careful when using it. But it doesn't to me it doesn't really explain why it's so toxic. But let's see if we have some some more in our in our next thing. So Chen Chen say because it is toxic, this herb should not be taken at a high dose when taken internally nor should it be used by deficient patients or taken for a long period of time as it may drain chi and blood. So that makes perfect sense. Total alignment with what Bensky and their team says. So it makes perfect sense there. Dharmananda uh, has an excellent article on the toxicity of the fruit, but does not discuss the whole herb toxicity. So if you're not familiar with Sabuti Dharmananda, uh, he, uh, he is a very prolific writer. I'm, I'm always amazed at what he writes, and he has a PhD, and he runs a website, itmonline.com. I think it's the, I should actually pull it up and let you know. It's just a, a great website in general. Um, Institute for Traditional Medicine is what it is. And it's not .com, it's .org. So itmonline.org. And I got to tell you, I 
you know, if I'm struggling for a good article, they usually have a good article and it pops up. And he just has written so much over the decades. Uh, and, and what I like is he's very bright so and, and knows his stuff. So this is a, 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 an excellent source. And this article is really good. Now, um, the article is in the bibliography. So if you're, you're wondering why I didn't put a you know, website or anything, because it's right there in the bibliography under Dharmananda. Um, so I highly recommend that uh, if you're worried about toxicity. Again, it doesn't do the whole herb, but it does do the fruit itself. So a great, great source, source to do it. Uh, question, is that ITM in Portland, Oregon? Yes, I believe that is, is the case. Yeah. So thank you. All right. So that is Sungard Sal. So let's summarize this. We started our podcast today with a discussion of the Sanjiao or the three burners or triple warmer, a unique Chinese medical organ. I uh, hope you're a little less confused than I was when I first was presented with Sanjiao. Uh, and then we discussed Sangerd Sao, the whole herb of Xanthium, and compared it with the more commonly used fruit of the herb. Along the way, we answered our initial questions. Is there a difference in functions? Yes, not a major one, but yes. Toxicity? Yes, actually Sangerd is more toxic than Sangerd Sao, maybe not by much. Uh, why would we use one instead of the other? Well, the big reason is because Sangerdza goes to the nose. Uh, and they are pretty similar with the fruit being more useful to treat nasal conditions. That's our summary here. Overall, another interesting look at a Chinese herb. In our next episode, we will be looking at another world herb, in this case, curry tree. The leaves are used in both Indian cooking and Ayurvedic medicine and we will be covering all the usual aspects of this plant, including its uses, history, and any concerns. Uh, I don't know if you know about me. I enjoy cooking, so I'm, I'm kind of always excited to, to learn about a new cooking ingredient. Uh, and so, and I love, I, 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 it's been a long time, but I do enjoy uh, cooking Indian food. So uh, we'll see if I get some new skills out of our next episode. And as usual, we will be exploring something a little different. I don't know what that means. Could it be cooking related? I don't know. We'll find out. So please join us for the next, dare I say, interesting episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you like this podcast, would you please do us a huge favor? Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. Thank you for even considering it. So thank you. And you can get this course as continuing education, as well as that special on my favorite course, Why Not How Do Herbs Work at www integrative medicine council c-o-u-n-c-i-l.org you put a slash w-h-y at the end of that and you get that third off on that why not how do herbs work and you can always get in touch with me at dr greg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website www.spurbsherbs.com and as usual i have a nice bibliography i think it's pretty good bibliography for an hour presentation. Thank you very much for, for joining me. Spurs. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy, Timothy Dobbins, Dobbins. Rogers. Campbell.